Good morning. This is Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover, a partner in Ice Miller's Real Estate Practice Group. Today, we have David Bradley, who is the regional manager of Marcus and Millichap's downtown Chicago office. David is a successful 17-year industry veteran that joined Marcus and Millichap in 2003 in Fort Lauderdale and is now in the role of the regional manager of their Chicago office. So it was great to get David on the phone to talk about we talk about sale leasebacks to give you some some substance from the real estate side and how those transactions are structured. And also we talked just about managing a team and what it's like to be the regional manager of Marcus and Millichap in Chicago. So one thing to note is we had a little bit of technical difficulties. We're losing some internet as we all work remotely from home here. So if David, if it sounds like David's cut off at a certain point, uh, that's just because we had a little bit of technical issues. But we still have a lot of great content here. He did a fantastic job, and so we've pieced it together. But if it sounds a little bit disjointed, that's the reason. So just bear with us. All right, David Bradley, Regional Manager, Marcus and Millichap. Uh, so, David, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, great. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me. So, David, tell us a little bit about your role at, at Marcus and um, just about the company and the Chicago office. Sure. Uh, happy to. So, uh, let me start with with the company as a whole. We uh, had our our uh, original founding back in 1971 uh, out in the Bay Area in uh, San Francisco area. We've grown the company uh, over the past 50 years or so uh, into uh, a large national firm now having offices in both uh, both the U.S. and Canada, 89 total offices in full, uh, plus, or, plus or minus 2,000 or so brokers and, uh, and debt originators uh, within our platform. And um, you know, really, what we're what we're focused on, if you look at our mission statement and our core values, it's to uh, create, preserve, uh, and grow the wealth of our clients. So, one of the things that's a little bit different about our firm uh, compared to uh, a lot of the other large national companies that are out there is that we do have a a singular focus on. Uh, the investment aspect of the business. So uh, there are certain segments that we don't participate in uh, within the commercial brokerage scope of things, things like uh, leasing and, and property management and development services. Those are uh, some things that that I know a lot of our uh, other national uh, competitors and, and other firms that are out there do very, very well. And, um, you know, where we've chosen to, to focus and, and grow our business over time is with the investor segment, both the private parties as well as uh, as well as the institutions that are out there, um, and you know th- I think that in and of itself is a uh, uh, you know kind of the the, the main uh, main differentiator or a main difference between some of the others uh, that you that you hear out there that you see out there, and within that, then you know there's really four main service offerings. Uh, that we engage with our clients uh, with, you know, the, the first one being obviously the, the investment sales transactions themselves, brokering. Um, I mentioned our debt platform, which has been uh, growing very, very nicely over the past number of years and uh, very applicable and, and needed uh, at this time in the, in the cycle. We have a very robust research component to our business um, you know, really with an orientation towards, again, the, the individual investor, 
looking at different product types, different uh, geographies, uh, different trends that are that are happening at any given time, and and translating that into a Main Street type of an investor's perspective as to what that means to you. And then lastly, uh, it, a, a big piece of it is just the advisory component to our business. I mean, the reality is is majority of people are 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 in a hold pattern with real estate at any given time. Um, you know, it's it's not every year uh, that a building will sell uh, or every year that a, uh, somebody is is refinancing or something. Uh, so a lot of the work that we do is advisory in nature, helping our clients, you know, position their assets for sale, uh, even if that's three, four or five years into the future, you know, how they're structuring leases, how they're uh, going about their their ongoing operations and just with the depth of of market knowledge and understanding that our individual agents as well as our firm has uh, a lot of times we can we can add significant value during that that hold period uh, you know just by gaining some of the insights that our brokers can offer so um, you know o- o- overall all said and done we we do have a uh, very strong presence in all of the the major asset classes, multifamily, retail, uh, office, industrial, uh, as well as, you know, a lot of the more niche product types, things like self-storage and and hospitality, senior housing. Um, We do do a lot of everything, net lease. So, you know, it's uh, a business that's a little bit, like I said, different than than some of the others, but uh, overall, it's been a uh, that that focus on the client, focus on specialization, has been a big piece of, of why we why we are who we are at this point. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, um, I think of of a company of the, your size, most real estate companies that get to be you know two thousand agents, it's a lot of people try to grab every every angle of the real estate and the leasing and and the management and everything. But you guys just you, you stick to your core. Uh, functions your core four offerings and uh, like I said if you've been doing been working in real estate and especially in Chicago for any given any given amount of time you will see Marcus uh, on many deals and, and very active in the marketplace can you tell us a little bit about uh, your market share in Chicago sure so we've um, historically been um, uh, very strong in certain aspects of the business so uh, multifamily uh, has always been a strong suit of ours. Um, single tenant net lease, as well as multi tenant retail, uh, has always been uh, always been a, a, a strong uh, strong piece of our business. So, you know, as it stands, as of last year, we had uh, and we've got some some very good competitors and and other firms that are out there that uh, that also operate in the space. So it's a uh, it, it, Chicago is a competitive market for uh, from a lot of different standpoints, but we're proud of the fact that you know we've had the the top market share in in multifamily and single tenant at least, as well as multi tenant retail for a number of years, you know, and that can fluctuate anywhere between about thirteen percent and twenty percent, you know, given given the year um, and, and so forth. Office has always been a, a strong suit of ours here in the downtown office. Um, you know, at this point we've, uh, really seen a huge demand for, uh, medical office throughout the, throughout the Midwest, throughout the country, really, it's been, you know, kind of being viewed as a, you know, something that's going to be somewhat resistant to, uh, to some of the challenges that we're facing out there in the world right now. 
so that that market share has been growing. Our our senior housing uh, business unit has been uh, been doing great as well. We've been very pleased with the uh, uh, with the expansion of our industrial presence. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, you know, the impact of, of COVID-19 and, you know, it's a, that is a tale of um, an asset by asset location by location uh, type of a situation. And that there are some, uh, some segments that are performing exceptionally well through all of this and others that have been, been impacted uh, a little bit harder uh, right out of the gates with this. And industrial is one of those that, uh, that, that we see as, um, being in demand from investors and uh, uh, being viewed as a bit of a safe haven right now. So we've been pleased with uh, some of the territory that we've been able to take within the industrial space here over the past couple of years and something that we're focused heavily on growing here moving forward. So, you know, in my role in, in running our office downtown, uh, it, it has been to develop uh, our our agents develop their skill sets, develop their their understanding. My job is as a non-competing manager, which is a little bit different than uh, than somebody who's um, who is still out there actively engaged in brokering deals uh, on, on our own. Uh, our company as a whole, one of the unique uh, value propositions to our agents is that we have a management team who's all been successful in brokerage. Uh, we've all you know, done a lot of business at, as brokers, but we, uh, being no longer uh, out in the field brokering deals, we are there specifically for our clients and specifically there for our agents, teaching and developing uh, and growing them. So that's been, you know, my focus here in Chicago, almost exclusively since we, since since I moved here in in 2016. And, um, you know, we've, we've had a, a lot of a very, very good growth over that over that period of time, almost tripling the amount of uh, the amount of business that we're doing over a, a four year period. So it's been it's been a, a, a very good, uh, good run here the past couple of years. We're obviously navigating some challenges right now, but, um, you know, still very optimistic about what uh, what the future will hold. Yeah. And I really want to get into, uh, you know, asking you about management and leadership. Those are topics that are really interesting to me. Uh, but before we get there, let's just start because the way, you know, we initially connected here for this was to talk about sale leaseback transactions and just um, to put that out there is just to explain to everyone what a sale leaseback is and how you've seen that that type of transaction grow you know, recently as people want to unlock capital, uh, to use for other operations. Sure. So the thing that's really, uh, that's really great about them is that there's a lot of flexibility in how those transactions are structured based on the needs, goals, objectives of the seller. So, you know, uh, I'll give a common example, um, uh, of what we see out there. If there's a business that is, Operating out of a out of a facility, let's just call it a, a an industrial property, a warehouse, and they have some some equity that's tied up in there. Depending on what they're looking to do over the long term, if they're looking to stay in the property and continue to operate their business 
and looking to do that for the foreseeable future, it might make sense to sign uh, a longer term lease, call it 10 years, uh, 15 years we've seen, uh, you know, it all depends on, on how long they want to retain access to and kind of control over that piece of real estate. Uh, and if that's the case, you know, we'd probably look to structure that lease in a, in a longer term way with, uh, with a payment structure then to the tenant uh, or the owner seller that's, uh, that is aligned with what their long-term, uh, long-term objectives are with the business. In other situations, it might make sense uh, for an owner that's looking at potentially growing out of, uh, out of a certain facility uh, over the next, call it three to five years, they might look to structure something uh, on a shorter term lease, uh, potentially looking at, you know, something that they, that, that they're uh, in the path of progress, or they know that they're going to be growing into a bigger facility, uh, but they're not quite there yet. And possibly the proceeds from sale is going to be used to, uh, to fund that expansion. Um, in other situations, there may be people that are just looking at and businesses that are looking at ways to to reduce overhead and you know how they how much they're paying on their uh, on their lease versus paying a, a mortgage payment to the bank. There may be some cost savings that are there on a monthly basis. So there's a lot of creativity and flexibility in how those deals are structured and what the resulting value uh, within the real estate will be. I mean, one of the things that's unique on the investment side is that, um, you know, the, the value of the real estate is ultimately tied to the income that, that, that the rental, uh, the rental income that's produced. So there's certain levers that you can tweak and pull from, you know, from, a. a how how much rent escalations are going in there, um, what the tenant is responsible for versus what the new landlord would be responsible for, uh, length of the lease, credit of the tenant. There's a bunch of different factors that will weigh into it. And, you know, if the owner themselves, the seller is, is looking to maximize equity and, and maximize the sale proceeds, we might structure it one way. If they're looking at cost savings, we may structure it another way. Uh, if they're looking at redeployment of capital into an alternative uh, asset class, another income-producing property, we may uh, we may explore some other options. So, um, and then it also comes into whoever the buyer is. Uh, you know, a lot of times, the again getting into the creativity of how we structure these deals, a buyer may have certain parameters that they're looking at, certain yield requirements, and so forth for their investor pool, and. Um, you know, we can, we can get a little, a uh, little creative on how, how we put those, put those deals together to really meet the needs of both the buyer and, and the seller. So I think one of the things that's, that, that I really uh, like about these transactions is that typically they result in a win-win, um, you know, because nothing is essentially set in stone at the, at the outset. Um, and, and we can really factor in, both of the objectives of, of both the buyer and the seller, um, you know, to ultimately arrive at something where where they're both winning in, in the transaction, and and uh, I think that's that's been one of the reasons that that sale leasebacks have have really caught on um, over the past uh, call it decade or so. Uh, I, I've I've seen a, a major uptick in that type of activity across the board. 
Um, you know, a lot of private equity firms uh, have caught on to the strategy, you know, and, and uh, we've done a lot of work in that area for, you know, people that have taken over businesses or enterprises or, or purchased entire businesses and enterprises uh, that realize that they've got unlocked value in the real estate itself. So, so as that's become a little more mainstream, you know, there's been a, a, a lot more interest uh, from from the clients that we're dealing with, and even just exploring that option and, and finding out the facts on it, uh, and, and determining if that's a viable solution for them moving forward. Now with COVID, and you know some of the some of the things that have have uh, have happened there. It's kind of being re-explored uh, by a number of different people, a number of, of owners that we've been engaged with over a period of time. Um, you know, the good news is that there's still debt available um, to a large degree. Uh, there's still credit that's available. Um, you know, one of the main differences between this downturn and this, uh, you know, this market cycle versus the last market cycle is that the last one was really a, a credit crisis and a debt crisis and, and the abilities, uh, the ability of lenders to be able to, uh, to fund new developments, <coughs> fund new acquisitions and, and really keep, uh, keep the commercial real estate business going was very, very impeded. Uh, in, in the last one, because it it was a, a, a mortgage and credit crisis, and this one is just it, it's just different. You know, obviously we, we've we've all said you know who knows what tomorrow brings, and and you know how this has been evolving uh, over the past couple of months. You know, there's still a lot of uncertainty and so forth that's out there in the market, but as it stands today, um, you know, banks are in pretty good shape. Uh, they, they still have reserves, uh, they still have a desire, uh, to be, to be lending and, and putting money out there. So then it, it really does give a, a borrower or an owner a, a lot of good options right now to be looking at, you know, how do we position ourselves to be, um, you know, whether it's just keeping the lights on, uh, until a, a vaccine comes through. And you know the health the health crisis itself is is mitigated in a in a uh, in a real way uh, that people feel comfortable kind of getting back to work. Uh, sale leaseback can be looked at as one of the strategies that can be used to uh, to facilitate that. Um, so in some instances, it's a it's a viable option just for weathering the storm. Uh, in other instances, you know a. a just financing, potentially refinancing the real estate, uh, you know, potentially looking at a line of credit or looking at uh, other various uh, credit facilities that are available, that might be a more suitable option. You know, in, in other instances, it might be a combination of the two. So, you know, the, the sale leaseback in a lot of ways can function as a financing mechanism uh, for businesses, whatever their, whatever their, uh, their needs may be. And it's just kind of one more arrow in the quiver um, that they have at their disposal, again, to be looking at what's the best use of their resources, what's the best use of the, the capital that they have available. And, um, you know, it's, it has gone a lot more mainstream over, over the past decade or so, uh, uh, you know, something that, that most businesses and most owners have heard of, uh, at least conceptually. 
Um, you know, and a, a lot of what our job is, is just educating and, and speaking to what the implications are to, to going with one strategy or another, and then, you know, helping them make a, a, an informed decision about what's best for their business and what's business uh, best for uh, their overall objectives in the long term. So uh, interesting times, uh, obviously, for a lot of different reasons. But, uh, you know, the sale leaseback has been, um, you know, a, a, a good tool that some people have been taking advantage of here as we go through this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like it for a lot of reasons. Um, I should date this. I, I Since COVID hit, I've been saying on the podcast when we're recording. So we're recording on July 24th. And so if a huge credit crisis happens in August of 2020, don't blame David for not recognizing it. Thanks um, for the disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah. Because right. we've yeah, all seen absolutely. things change rapidly over two week periods. But, you know, um, but I just, I like the idea of it as an option for people because if you, let's say you own a factory or you're, you're operating on a facility, you own the real estate and you say to yourself, I own this property, but I need some capital, whether it's because I need capital because we're, we're having a challenging time because of COVID-19 or whether I want to expand because I, I, have more demand for my product or something right now, or you just want to extract the money, you know, traditionally you would try to get a line of credit or a loan on the real estate. And while that could be good, if, if you think you might grow out of your facility or your facility is becoming outdated or, you know, 10 years from now, you can go get a 10 year mortgage. Then you would have the money now, but 10 years from now, if you, as the company decide to leave that facility, that facility is just not going to be worth as much vacant and run down as if you sold it today. And if you kind of cashed out with a 10 year guarantee to the buyer that you'll be there paying rent for 10 years, um, then you get, you kind of maximize the value of the real estate that you own. Cause you're saying we're going to be here for 10 years and then you still get that, the money that you need to fund your other operations. And so you know, that that's a very simple way you've, you've gone into how you can get more creative um, with it. But I think that, you know, it, it is a, a viable option in a lot of scenarios. Yeah. You know, and it, it, what I was describing was a, you know, kind of a common scenario, but in many instances, it, it'll look at estate planning uh, type of issues. You know, if a, a company is, in a transfer of ownership, um, you know, either within the family or, or, uh, elsewhere looking at what, what would maximize proceeds at sale if they're going to be selling the business and at the same time, uh, selling the real estate, uh, that, that also comes into play. You mentioned the expansion, um, uh, of businesses. One of the, um, you know, the sale leaseback has become part of the growth strategy for a number of businesses. And, and an example of that is uh, restaurateurs, uh, franchisees, a lot of times in um, uh, certain fast food concepts or casual dining. And, and you know, there's a, a number of other businesses that are doing this. But, you know, to open uh, two or three uh, new new restaurants, uh, new builds that uh, that then they can put a long-term 20-year lease. And this might be an operator that has 50 or 100 other uh, restaurants opened up elsewhere. And then they turn around and sell the real estate and use those proceeds then to go open up six more or open up 10 more. So uh, it, it can be part of a, of a growth strategy. 
um, you know, where, where essentially you're marrying uh, the business itself, uh, the operations of the business with a, a real estate strategy that involves creating value and, and, you know, kind of manufacturing equity on your own behalf and then using that to reinvest in the operations. So it's, uh, it's very interesting whenever you start to, to peel back the onion a little bit and, and look at the hows and whys of, of these deals. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, I, I think, uh, for a lot of people, a lot of business owners and people that, that have real estate, uh, own real estate and operate the business, it's, uh, you know, definitely something to be taking a look at, uh, as part of your overall plan moving forward. Awesome. Well, you know, it, in your explanation, you started to touch on the COVID-19's impact um, in terms of it being a different type of catastrophe and recession than, than the last one in terms of a credit crisis. But, you know, just since you are the regional manager of the Chicago office, so, you know, tell us, can you tell us a little bit about how you're seeing that impact uh, your investment sales and just the volume and what you you anticipate going forward through the rest of 2020? Sure. So, you know, the the analogy that makes sense in in my head about what's going on in the market, um, you know, with all of the different factors going on. I mean, there's there's just to kind of outline a few of them uh, that I think everybody's aware of. You have the um, you have the health crisis itself. Uh, you have the civil unrest, uh, you have the political divisions, you have, uh, an election year looming. That's going to be, it's going to be interesting, uh, to, to say the least. Um, you have unemployment, you have, uh, government stimulus and, and a lot of, uh, additional dollars going into circulation. So, you know, it's, it, there's just a lot of things that are happening and changing very, very quickly. And, you know, I think of, uh, I, I've, I've been fortunate to go to uh, Yellowstone National Park a couple of times. Oh, love it. And um, Yellowstone is a really, really, it's just a cool place to visit. But if you go there, um, it's basically a volcano uh, is, is what it is. It's, it's on top of a, a large, uh, large magma deposit. And in these different, different places, you'll see places that are bubbling that are, that are simmering, then all of a sudden a geyser will go off, you know, and it'll, it'll shoot up and you really don't know when it's going to happen. And you don't know why, why it happens specifically when it does, but you just know that all of these different things that are bubbling below the surface cause where there's a little crack or a little fissure, uh, for sometimes things to explode. And, and that's kind of the way that the market is behaving right now is that with all of these different factors that are kind of simmering below the surface, um, there are certain buyers and there are certain sellers that, um, you know, will be impacted and impacted quickly uh, from changes that, that are happening at any given time. So a, a building or a transaction that was sitting there where, you know, maybe the buyer and seller were a little too far apart on pricing expectations, that can change literally overnight. You know, where all of a sudden, you know, a buyer becomes a lot more motivated because they need to get their capital deployed or a seller needs to become uh, much or has become much more motivated because, you know, their collections have have suffered uh, as a result of this thing. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting. I've never I've never really seen it behave this way where 
you just have such a, a, a dynamic set of circumstances that can cause transactions to stop or start almost, you know, almost instantaneously. So it really is a building by building, owner to owner, uh, market to market type of a type of a situation where we can't really make make any broad broad stroke um, conclusions about what's happening in the market because it's just it's different for everybody. I mean, I, I know that uh, how people are experiencing the pandemic and experiencing you know this thing that we're all going through. It's affecting people in in a myriad of ways you know if you've got small children and you know you're you're thinking about certain things if you've got older relatives or you yourself have um you know health conditions and so forth that would lead you susceptible to uh to the virus it's a it's impacting you a different way if you own a property in an in an area where um you know there's been significant unrest and and um you know potentially vandalism or damage to the property that's affecting you um, differently. So it's, uh, it, it's really kind of, a, a unique scenario in, in that, uh, in, in that regard. Now, obviously there's been some, there has been some, some macro level changes that have affected certain segments of the industry more than others. So, you know, I think everybody recognizes the, uh, the impact that it's had on the hospitality industry and, you know, occupancy and hotels, you know, restaurants, obviously, any of the service-oriented type of businesses that uh, that are operating, they've been been disproportionately impacted impacted by the whole thing, and and um, you know, so some of the owners of those properties have needed to be uh, very creative in just um, you know working with their tenants, working with uh, with those businesses to try to keep them in there and and support them um, until we make it through on the other the other side of this thing. Um, you know, multifamily is, um, is kind of a different story altogether. Um, you know, we've, we've experienced and seen just here in Chicago, uh, uh, and, you know, nationwide, an emergence of a trend of people moving out of cities, uh, and into suburbs and into more rural locations, being that they can work remotely in a lot of instances or, you know, potentially have, have suffered a job loss and, you know, they're looking, looking elsewhere. So, you know, that's, that's fueled demand, uh, actually caused rent growth in, in some of those markets that are, that are getting a, a net migration into, uh, into those markets. There are other markets where it's really just kind of held steady, um, you know, where, where we haven't seen significant issues with vacancies or collections, uh, you know, or people moving out or, or, the ability to sign new leases. And then there's been other pockets where it really has been disproportionately, um, you know, impacted where, where many people have chosen to leave the area or there's been a higher instance of job loss, um, you know, and, and collections are, are tougher there. Um, so it's, um, it, it, that's part of what, um, you know, part of the reason and part of, you know, our strategy in, in, specializing and having our agents be uh, specialists both in a, a, a investment sales but in a certain product type in a certain geography is that they understand the nuances of that specific area 
and are really dialed into some of the problems, challenges, opportunities uh, that are available to the owners that that own uh, uh, those types of assets, and ideally be able to uh, offer some guidance and wisdom and and um, you know insight on what others are doing in that market to to deal with the challenges being presented, and and then also you know where the silver linings might be uh, in terms of opportunities for them moving forward. So. You know, that's that's where it is today. As of July 24th, um, talk to me next week and it might be something completely different. So uh, so that's 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 what we've been seeing out there. Uh, one, I love Yellowstone. Two, I love the Yellowstone analogy. That was such a, such a great imagery to explain what's going on. I have had the weirdest two weeks. I've had buyers that I haven't heard from in months. Um, I've just had, had like a really a more difficult time predicting my week than in mm-hmm. any other time in my practice. Normally I, I kind of at the start of the month can see a couple of closings coming up. I can kind of plan and manage my schedule, but I've had buyers I haven't heard from, you know, retain me on Tuesday. And then we negotiate a PSA, look at the property, evaluate what we're doing, get all the way to a finalized contract by Thursday to have the deal dead by Friday morning because the right. tenant, the primary tenant has just given notice that it's vacating and you know, just, just the, the weirdest things come up and you just almost, you don't even let it phase you because the buyer said, you know what? I got three other deals I'm looking at that just dropped. Well, since we've been talking on Tuesday that I liked better. And so maybe next week we'll be working on something else. And so, you know, you just kind of keep on chugging along, just seeing the oddest things arise or things that you know you only see once every year or two happen you you might see four of them in a month yep um it's just been yeah. bizarre without question um without question and and you know especially uh, the past month and a half uh we've seen that even more so on the buy side uh you know with buyers that have become exceptionally motivated to get um to get something closed i think a, a big piece of it um the 1031 exchange deadline was extended across the board until July 15th. So literally anybody that had closed on a down leg between middle of February and July 15th, all of a sudden had to identify and in many instances needed to close by that time frame. And, um, you know, that, you know, going back to the geyser analogy, it was kind of a, a geyser that went off with, um, you know, very motivated buyers that needed to close, you know, immediately. And, um, um, and then on the flip side, same thing, the tenant all of a sudden declares bankruptcy or, you know, a new lease is actually signed because another business needs to expand because, you know, it's just, you know, it's going gangbusters and they can't keep up with the demand. It's, it's, uh, it's just bizarre. It's, it's really crazy. And what a lot of what we've been, you know, advising, our clients to do and in, in if they are interested in selling if they are looking to liquidate uh at any point here over the next year two years three years is to take a hard look at at um at at putting it out on the market now um and and looking because there are buyers that are active and there are lenders that are active and and deals can get done at the beginning the hardest part was just the mechanics of it uh being able to to see a property uh, being able to do physical inspections, being able to get um, 
you know, a, a, a document notarized. I mean, that was the, yeah. the big challenge in, in um, you know, in March, April and into May. And once we kind of got some of those things figured out, um, then some other things started to, to, to weigh in and factor it. So, so the advice to our clients is, A, uh, be patient. Um, you know, we, we need to be, to be patient. Um, we need to have the property exposed and out in the market and just know that, you know, what was predictable, uh, uh, six months ago in terms of the volume of offers and, and, and how many offers and where they're going to be coming in, uh, from a pricing standpoint, we don't really have a whole lot of clarity into that right now. And it may be that, you know, you need to keep the property exposed a little bit longer. Um, you may need to be dealing with some things that we're just not anticipating at, at this point, but, you know, being flexible to what the market's actually bringing to us, uh, you know, from an offer standpoint is, is really important. So it's, um, it's, it's choppy and, you know, it's choppy and it's, uh, fraught with some, some things that, that candidly nobody's ever dealt with before. Um, but as long as they've got the right perspective going into it and, and are kind of prepared for that, it's still, it's still a, a market where deals are getting done. And that's, that's the, the silver lining here at this point. You know, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about kind of shifting gears here is just, uh, you're the regional manager at Marcus and Millichap in the downtown office. And, um, brokers are very fast paced entrepreneurial people, um, I imagine difficult to manage in some respects, but also maybe good to manage because they are such go-getters, you know, not to categorize them all, but of the ones that I've met, they certainly seem to share sort of an, an ambitious streak in them. Um, could you just tell me a little bit about managing brokers and, and real estate professionals and just also just about, it might this might tie into you know, I see Marcus and Millichap has little pockets and little subgroups of teams that operate together. And, you know, there are some companies that if you go to Sue in California or Joe in New York, you're going to get pretty much the same form, same products. And, you know, it seems like some of these teams kind of have their own branding, have their own ways of running things. But I'm sure there are some policies that are uniform. Uh, but could you just tell me a little bit about managing real estate professionals and uh, about how, you know, your philosophy on it as well as the company's philosophy on it? Sure. So, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, in managing managing the brokers themselves, um, you know, the fact that, that I've been in their shoes, experienced the exact same things uh, that they experience and, and go through on the day to day, um, helps a lot. You know, I mean, I, I think back to whenever I got into the business, um, back in 2003 and, you know, I was just more excited than I was educated on what, uh, what the business was, was all about. Uh, I knew that it was going to be hard. I knew that there's a, a challenge in, in getting through it. Um, you know, but I, I had a very kind of typical experience of what, what people experience whenever they, they go into commercial brokerage and that being, you know, I was working 60 or 70 hour weeks. Um, in that first year I made $3,500 and, uh, that's, that's hard. 
it's, yeah. a, it's a, it's a hard thing. Uh, but, but you hit the nail on the head. Uh, there's a certain type of person that wants to do that, you know, that wants to work for essentially no money or very limited money, uh, for an unknown period of time. Uh, and it's somebody that, that has, uh, entrepreneurial streak. Um, you know, they typically have bigger goals, bigger ambitions, uh, uh, than, than, uh, maybe a nine to five job would, would provide. And, um, you know, they're willing to kind of take a risk and, and roll the dice on themselves. And, you know, I view it as my responsibility to give them every possible opportunity to take advantage of that ambition and, and that drive that they have. And that comes through, um, you know, really where I, I view my role, which is, you know, first and foremost as a teacher in teaching them the business and, and how to do it, uh, how to execute, how to put the, the, the emphasis on service, uh, serving the client and so forth. Uh, it's also being a coach. Uh, and if you look at what a coach does in, in literally any, any, uh, any field of endeavor, I mean, they're there to hold you accountable. And, you know, what we what we have are essentially a team of teams. And I, I use uh, I use that that wording um, on purpose because it's actually a book that uh, was written by General McChrystal called The Team of Teams. Now, General McChrystal uh, led the forces as we uh, went into uh, Iraq and Afghanistan in the early 2000s. And and what was what was apparent at that time was that the system as a whole was not functioning uh, or the apparatus that was in place was not functioning based on the war that was being fought. Uh, so, you know, whereas before we had a top-down command structure, people were on essentially a need-to-know basis. And what was apparent from the early days of that war uh, was that, you know, there were things that the FBI might know that the that the commanders on the ground didn't. And there might've been people in the CIA that were in a certain part of the, of the world that, you know, weren't communicating with people back in Langley. And, you know, there was just a siloed information. And the problem was, is that we were fighting an enemy who didn't have a centralized command structure in, in many ways. We were fighting an enemy that, you know their basic objective and their mission was just to kill Americans, and and that was that was it. So what we were looking at was not uh, you know kind of traditional warfare and, and traditional uh, kind of battlefield planning that we had had grown accustomed to over a period of time. So what needed to happen was all of those people, all of those constituents and stakeholders needed to be in communication with one another so that there was information that would go uh, to the people that need it. And there was really no way of knowing who needed to know what, you know, what was important to somebody and, you know, on the ground in Northern Africa might be relevant to somebody who's on the ground in, in Afghanistan. Um, So he started to facilitate uh, literally weekly conference calls uh, to share information and share intelligence so that the people that were tasked with leading those, those people in those various regions had, all of the information at their at their fingertips, and you know what evolved was this philosophy of a team of teams where people are empowered 
leaders that are empowered to be able to make appropriate decisions based on what they know of of the landscape and what they know of of their situation, as well as uh, collaborating and and being in touch with uh, with, with everybody else, uh, so that they had the best real time data. And that's you know a lot of of how the team component uh, uh, within our business operates, and that we have the most talented people, uh, you know, in the brokerage industry, in my opinion, um, some of the things that we've said, very entrepreneurial, very smart, very creative, very knowledgeable, uh, within their respective field and within their respective product type. And we want to, uh, partner with those people and empower those people, um, because they're probably going to have a better sense of what their clients need and, and what, um, what opportunities are out there for them. Uh, than we possibly could as a, you know, as a management team, possibly in a different location or a, a different part of the world. So we really view everybody uh, within the company as a leader and, and everybody in the company should be empowered to make appropriate decisions, obviously, within the framework of our overarching philosophy, our overarching goals, you know, to, to be a, uh, the service provider of, of the highest quality and, and really look at you know, how are we helping our clients create, preserve and grow their wealth uh, over a period of time? So within that, then we have, uh, you know, different, different uh, opportunities and ways that we are collaborating with one another in this kind of information sort of sort of sharing uh, capacity, whether that's at the local office level. Uh, where we hold weekly meetings, where we're discussing new inventory, new deals that are coming to market, issues of the day, certain challenges that are coming up. And, and literally everybody in the office is there uh, with a free flow of ideas, um, making sure that we're as informed as possible. We have different product specialty groups uh, that we have throughout the company. So what, what I mean by that are uh, our, our national multi-housing group, uh, where people that are focused on apartments all, all come together and, and work and collaborate. Our office and industrial segment, our healthcare segment, our senior housing segment, you know, basically all of the uh, different product types that are out there. We get together, um, you know, virtually several times a month um, where we are, you know, again, sharing. All right, David. Well, I appreciate you giving us your time today and sharing your experience. And uh, thank you for bearing with us during the, some of the technical glitches. Hopefully we can piece this all together in a way that makes sense. But, um, you know, thanks for sharing your thoughts on on COVID, on sale leasebacks, and on, on managing a team. I, I really appreciate your time today. This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances.